Hello, and welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Laura Barton. And I'm Michelle Jones. And this week, we are covering the books of Peter, First and Second Peter. In our Come Follow Me manual, the title is Rejoice with Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. Another beautiful and confident statement to reflect the attitude of the primitive leaders of the church that knew persecution was part of their future. In fact, Peter wrote his apostles knowing that his martyrdom was near. And so we have this incredible uh, discourse from Peter sharing with us his strength as he knows a lot of the Christians are feeling the persecution too. And I really enjoyed reading all of Peter's words. Oh my gosh, I was trying really hard not to underline everything. I loved so much of what he had to say, and the language that he uses is really kind of poetic. I used like a triple underlying um, approach because I would highlight, and then I was like, but let me underline this so I know that that's different from the other highlights. So throughout this whole thing, I was highlighting all of Peter's words. I really appreciate Peter because as we reflect on Peter in the Gospels, he was always the center of action and I just loved his personality. Some people call him impetuous, but I just really liked that he seemed like he he was a comfortable risking taking mis- making mistakes or um, he just missed, he never missed an opportunity to learn from the Savior. And when he recognized that he had shortcomings, he always turned back to the Savior. And so that example of, of Peter always turning to the Savior to be taught, I appreciate as we now see Peter as this strength and foundation for the church. We know that Peter's name um, specifically translates into stone or rock, and you can really feel the strength of his foundation that's built upon Jesus Christ now in his last in the end of his life and i do find that really inspiring to think about peter being willing i kind of picture him as someone who was willing to jump in and start obeying what the savior taught him right away even if he didn't understand the whole thing or know exactly how to do it or maybe he wasn't even totally prepared to do it yet he was willing to try it and i think that's amazing and I love that about Peter and I want to embrace that more for myself right that example from Peter I do really appreciate I think we can all identify it when you with it when you're talking about it we we know that enthusiasm that got him to walk on water and then he was like oh but this isn't something I should be able to do (laughs) and and yet because of that faith in Jesus Christ you can see it just built and built and now his words tell and express how we can become like Christ. And he can say this with conviction because he's lived it. And we can learn from that. And I was just thinking about that example of the walking on water. And I thought, aren't we all a little bit like that in our best moments where we just step forward, following the Savior into the unknown? And are, you know, we are in good company if at some point we right. stop and say, wait a second, <laughs> what's happening here and where is this going? So I'm really looking forward to talking about the things that Peter had to teach the apostles and now us today. Right. And that's P- what Peter is doing here is he's telling us how to become like Christ, how that we can also partake of that same faith, that same strength. And this first book is kind of like a guide on how we can become more holy in our trials 
Um, that in our, these persecutions, that through testing our faith and the experiences of our faith, we get that strength in Christ. So he says in chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus Christ, through his grace and mercy, has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, reserved in heaven for you. That through God's power, we're guarded through faith for a salvation that is prepared and to be revealed in the last time that our faith is much more precious than gold because it can result in praise and glory and honor through Christ. Yes, I love that. I wrote in the margin that this is our journey. We're, we're on this journey. And I underlined, so in your version, it says living hope. And in mine, it says lively hope. And there was something just delightful about that wording to me, because there's something, whether it's living or lively, depending on maybe how sassy you're feeling that day. I like this concept that hope is, has the ability to be an active, living, moving thing for us. Absolutely. And living hope in our Savior is something that he's reinforcing to emphasize how we really can become holy like the Savior. So um, he wants us to be able to feel joy even when things around us are not going the way we want. In this case, Christians being persecuted. He says that as we become more like the Savior, we can feel that joy even now. And, you know, throughout the New Testament, we get a lot of great discourse of discourses on grace and how through God's grace, we can be strengthened in all things. But here he's saying, not only that, but you are also told to become holy. He says in chapter 1, verse 15, Just as the one who called you is holy, be holy also in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that he says we were ransomed through Christ, through his precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Again, he's referring to the traditions of of the children of Moses. But then he states in verses 21 and 22, the, the essential characteristics that help us become holy, that through Jesus Christ, we're, our, we are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You have purified your souls in obedience to the truth in order to show mutual love. So love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Is that kind of reflected in your 21 and 22? Absolutely. And I really love, because I I think you're exactly right. What we're seeing here is sort of, as we've said, Peter is a man of action. He's a man with some experience. He's probably tried several different things, but he's quick to turn back to the Savior if what he's doing is not in alignment. Obviously, that's like Michelle's extrapolation there. But I think that that gives a lot of meat to what he is sharing. Because when you said that, you know, we are going to find our joy in the Savior and in following in the Savior's footsteps, another pattern that I see that Peter's speaking about is also... um that part of that includes the suffering of the Savior and that that's another thread that seems to wind through here. In verse 11, he says, um, speaking about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So there seems to be that we're building on this pattern that we're going to recognize that the Savior is where we want to, um, that that's 
who we would like to follow. That's our path. And we have through love, through obedience, through shedding the things of the world, we are going to be able to make that connection. And it's not if you encounter suffering, that that is part of the path of discipleship includes suffering. It is. It's not if it is reality that that's what it is. And then he mentions again and again that glory follows suffering. So I'm I'm excited for that to continue to unfold as we go along. But I thought it's useful to mention at the beginning this pattern so that we can see it kind of reinforced and more depth brought into that as we continue. Okay, well, thank you for that comp- comprehensive comp- comment because that sets up like the n- next two chapters of what I was thinking is that it is through the suffering in Christ, but the reason why I really thought 21 and 22 were interesting was that it goes over faith, hope, and charity. Those are the characteristics. Absolutely. Faith, hope, to have a pure, purified your souls in obedience to the truth in order to show mutual love. So love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And I thought, why are these so essential? It's because these are the characteristics that we cannot have without a savior, without the atonement. You can have um, good works and, ch- and, 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 and have meaning in your life through service, but he's saying faith in Jesus Christ, hope in Jesus Christ, love, the pure love of Christ are, um, right. are exceptional to these three things. You cannot have these things without Christ. And it says, so in the King James Version, unfeigned love. So we've got that. And to love one another with with a pure heart fervently. And I just felt like another layer to why this is important in addition to the most important layer, which is we get this through the Savior. Without him, we would not have this. But it's also how we become purified, which is what it's saying in the beginning. If you would like to know the recipe for purification we're purified through the love through the love of the savior for us and also through um we are purified as we show that love that the savior has to one another so this may i'm just gonna share my feelings about um the messiah handles messiah i'm participating in it right now and so a lot of people over the next few weeks will see performances of Handel's Messiah. And as I've been seeing in Handel's Messiah, the themes that you've just talked about are done, talked about over and over and over again. And the reason why I'm mentioning that is because those are the same themes that go throughout here about prophets and what they've prophesied about Jesus Christ. So Handel's Messiah takes the prophecies in the Old Testament and show how they were manifest in the New Testament in Christ's life. And so they talk about purifying the sons of Levi and Isaiah and his prophecies. And and Peter goes on to talk about how important knowing true prophecy is and applying it to your life. But he talks, the beginning of the Messiah opens up talking about the glory of God. And it's Isaiah 45. It says, and the glory of the God shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And so I've been thinking about glory a lot. And the theme of glory is through here, throughout here. Yes. And we know that the glory of God is intelligence. In other, ways, in other way, like, the glory of God is intelligence. 
In other words, light and truth. And so when I think of the glory of God, I think of that light that shines. When you think of a visual glory. Absolutely. I do it's too. that light. And we know that that light is expansive. And yet when we when we picture Jesus Christ, we see that kind of that halo light. But But for me, that is the glory of God. And so when you talk about faith, hope, and charity, and the pure love of Christ, as I've been reflecting on glory, what is the body of Christ? We are part of the body of Christ. So what is that glory that shines around the body of Christ? It is our charity. It is our faith and our hope and our charity. And as we express our love to others, isn't it lovely to think that that in and of itself enhances his light a little bit or is at least part of his glory maybe helps us to reflect his light because his light is already in its fullness but as we embrace that light and truth which i absolutely that feels so true to me and also through that love then we are able to reflect that light and just like if you had a room full of mirrors the reflection of light would be magnified the original source of light is the same but because we all have the ability as the body of christ to reflect that light we can not only bring that light and truth more to each other but to the world too absolutely and i think on an individual level that's very um a very concrete way to to express it and so i was thinking that as the body of Christ, that that scripture and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. We're going to talk about how he really is going to come in his, the second coming with his glory. But that glory can be seen through the body of Christ now as we all reflect his light now as the body of Christ. And so that's what I was thinking when we when I was reflecting on the prophecies of Isaiah. Okay, and I just have to say that one of the things that this brings to mind, um, as a photographer, there's we use something called a reflector. And I think that this is really relevant because a reflector in and of itself does not, it's not a source of light. It is, it can be white or silver or gold. And the main source of our light, if we're speaking of outdoor photography, is the sun, which has a very direct connection symbolically to the Savior. And as that sun is coming, if, if we're trying to take a picture, but there are shadows on the face of the person that we're taking, we can use a reflector and hold it down so that the sun reflects off of that. And it literally, you can see it, it fills those shadows with light. And I think that is symbolically very beautiful for what we can do to fill in the shadows of our lives. And as we minister to each other, we can help to fill the Savior's light into those shadows as we reflect him. I love that. And again, I think these themes are going to be pulled throughout. So I love when we kind of set up some of these themes at the beginning. He goes on to talk in chapter two about how we become like Christ. And again, we return to the Melchizedek priesthood. And so he talks about us being a spiritual house, that we can have Christ come and dwell with us. He talks about it specifically with the analogy of the stone, which of course is a great, again, reminder how Peter is now kind of one of the stones of the church as he represents Christ's mouthpiece on earth. In chapter two, sorry. I was going to say, before you move into the priesthood part, I just wanted to mention about the stone. I thought it was so 
cool that the same stone can be different things for different people because he says in verse six um the savior being the chief cornerstone elect and precious and all that believe on him shall not be confounded so he can build on this cornerstone it's a solid foundation but the same stone to those who don't believe and don't accept can be a stone of stumbling in verse Mm -hmm. eight Mm -hmm. and so i thought well we can either build on the cornerstone the cornerstone is there it's solid it's a sure foundation. We can either build on it or we can stumble over it. And it's our choice to have the spirit come and dwell with us so that it is not a stone of stumbling. And so he does say in verse five, that as we are living stones, we ourselves are established as a residence of the spirit, that the spirit can come and dwell in us, that we can be personal temples to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then in verse nine, he continues it. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood, a holy nation, a people acquired so that you declare the virtues of the one who called you from darkness to his amazing light. I think that's a wonderful emphasis, re-emphasizing what we just made, the points we made, that through this priesthood, the power of God on earth, we can reflect his light as we show love to each other. And as I read that, I was reminded of President Nelson's words from conference this last session that he said in women's Mm. conference in women's conference he talked about the power of the priesthood and this is the quote that (coughs) kind of came to mind it says every woman and every man who makes covenants with god and keeps the those covenants and who participates worthily in priesthood ordinances okay just a second let me take it Take a drink of water. (laughs) Well, and yes, carry on, because then I also have another question for you about a difference in our translations in that verse 9. Oh, okay. So we'll come back to that after Okay, so these were President Nelson's words. Every woman and every man who makes covenants with God and keeps those covenants and who participates worthily in priesthood ordinances has direct access to the power of God. Those who are endowed in the house of the Lord receive a gift of God's priesthood power by virtue of their covenant, along with a gift of knowledge to know how to draw upon that power. And so this power, it includes both priests and priestesses, and he accepts our spiritual sacrifice and very literally during our sacrament every Sunday as we commit to him and offer our stones on his altar that we are the stones that we can offer as these scriptures keep stating, and that that will get us to be able to draw upon the power of God in our own life because we have access to that priesthood. Absolutely, because much like the Savior, the greatest sacrifice that we can make is of our own life. Absolutely. We sacrifice our life and our plan for our own life and accept the Lord's plan for our life and then act upon that. And one of my favorite things from that, and I have felt that to be true in my life, and I love that we are having conversations about it now, which is that we all have direct access to God. When we are covenant people and we are striving, we have access to far greater power than most of us recognize. And that probably supersedes any of my questions before. So oh, we'll, well just carry and, and, on. And I do like that. And I mean, it's it was so nice to have him state it that way so we can acknowledge that we are priests and priestesses in this power. And because the the 
the church and its organization is oftentimes steeped in the Aaronic priesthood. It's not necessarily something that we talk about all the time, that that Melchizedek priesthood, that the women can embrace the power to speak for God and know more about their divine nature and their assignments here on the earth. And that is that is being talked about more and more. So Sure, yeah. because I think sometimes we get a lot more it's a lot more visible or maybe more well understood the administrative aspect of the priesthood as opposed to the personal access that we each have to the priesthood power through our covenants in the temple and absolutely it's easier to talk about generalizations when you talk about the standardized priesthood offices right versus these individual experiences you have through the Melchizedek priesthood it's a lot more neat and tidy and also like better delineated so people don't risk it saying it wrong explaining it wrong assuming more than they should I think there's a lot of uncertainty that comes when we try to have conversations outside of that and so I I really love that our prophet is leading the way in that discussion well and that's what's special about Peter is he's telling us we have access to a a relationship with the Savior and he goes on to talk about that and so I'm so grateful for a lot of the the language that's being used now President Nelson has made a strong focus on making sure that we do not take Jesus Christ out of our conversations ever these same points we're making faith in Jesus Christ hope in Jesus Christ love in Jesus Christ is what the church of Jesus Jesus. Christ talks about and I'm just so grateful for all these these the importance of language which we talked about last week that through our words our faith is manifest through that there's a lot of power about our choices and what we do and so yes i love that we're talking about all of this so he goes on to tell us that we can exemplify christ in our examples throughout our days as we suffer for the sake of god and so he goes on to say how they can do that in their practical application of their everyday life all throughout chapter three Yes, and I just thought it was worth mentioning for anyone who maybe has had someone judge them falsely or, you know, assume something about them that wasn't accurate or true. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's been in this experience. I I felt very validating to read the end of chapter two, and I don't know that we need to discuss it at length, but I just thought it's worth mentioning that he's, Peter is telling us that Christ taught us how to respond to persecution or false judgment. And I would venture to say that most of us encounter false judgment or false assumptions about us more than we encounter straight persecution most of the time. And so I appreciate that he, you know, just turns our eye directly back to the Savior in these moments. This is nothing that the Savior didn't encounter. And how he responded, he was reviled, but he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. I mean, he just responded um, with love. And I guess I just always picture just a calm surety in the Savior. He he knew who he was and what he was doing and what the Lord had asked him to do. And if others didn't understand, that was not really relevant to what he needed to do for the Lord. Well, and again, well, the point, though, also being that we are suffering for the sake of Christ. We're not suffering for the sake of suffering, but that when we stand in truth and know we're following the Savior and we're suffering, there is a lot of strength in that knowledge. Yes. That when you're unjustly treated, um, if it is for the sake of Christ, that you stand as a witness of Christ 
and you represent him, you will definitely receive strength through that suffering. And if you're standing in what the Savior has taught, and for some of these things, there will be people in the world that will judge you harshly for that. And so I think, I mean, I've experienced that probably on a weekly basis. And so I feel like that is something that is relevant for each of us to, I guess, reflect back on how the Savior responded to that and draw draw comfort in knowing that even the Savior in all of his perfectness, there were still people who did not understand him. Well, and you, they do say in the last days that we will become separate and it, and and we may experience some of this persecution, but like you said, standing in truth and in Christ um, is important. The glory of God is in is intelligence, light, and truth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the truth, people are not going to like that. In fact, um, I remembered throughout this reading many examples from the Book of Mormon that those that stood in truth were persecuted too. And so as we stand in truth, that may become more and more difficult. But Christ assures us that as we stand as representatives of Christ, we will be strengthened and we will receive part of his glory and and feel of that love. Yes, and part of what might be hard for some people is that truth requires action. If they're to recognize that something is true, then they may have to change something. So as we um, as we continue, he goes... He continues talking about how we are examples of charity and that, um, let's see, in, in, in the end of chapter 3, verse 15, but hold Christ as holy in your hearts, always being prepared to offer a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that it is, is in you. Again, um, standing for Christ, representing Christ recognizing that all status is tied to charity. It's not just for ourselves, but to strengthen others. And and that as we become more like Christ, we do his work again, which is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And that may not always be easy, but we have hope in Christ and that we will defend Christ and his work and that hope. Kind of referring to the same things we were just talking about. And that the Savior is there with us as we stand for truth. He's there um, in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. So God sees us. He sees what we're doing and as we're standing in that strength. And that is also just one more level of comfort and strength as we are brave to be always ready to give an answer to every man that asketh for the reason for our hope. Right, and that brings us into chapter four where he states that because, this is all because of Christ's atonement. In verse in chapter four, verse one, Christ suffered in the flesh. So arm yourselves with that same mind for the one who suffered in the flesh has ceased from, front, from sin in order that you may spend the remainder of your time in the flesh, no longer according to human desires, but according to the will of God. So throughout this persecution or throughout your challenges, that your strength will come through the atonement, that that sacrifice was made for each of us so that we can stand in the in in his um, strength, that we can be fortified through yeah. that sacrifice. Yes, and I think part of that strength and fortification comes as we turn to the Savior that we can let that past any of those, anything that came before 
to let that fall behind us. And it goes on to say in verse 8 that I just have to stop and read verse 8 because I kind of thought it was awesome. That above all things, continue loving one another because love hides a multitude of sins. <laughs> yes. your say? Well, in the King James Version, it says, for charity preventeth a multitude of sins, which I think is really an interesting change. It changes will cover to preventeth. And and both and, and 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 when I hear hides a multitude of sins, there's not really a sense of hiding it, but I inherently compensates knew, for. I, I inherently yeah. knew that that love conquers so much, and that the charity and the pure love of Christ. That it's amazing that in your suffering, if you connect with that love, if you connect with the pure love of Christ, that can light you up more than anything through suffering and so it's like thinking of paul in prison thinking of peter right before they died they feel this love they can feel it throughout them in the midst of persecution and challenges and so that's what he's trying to connect us with the pure love of christ and i just love that so many of these chapters end talking about god and his glory in everything god will be glorified through jesus christ who is the glory and the power forever which verse ever that's the last verse of this chapter verse 11 everything god will be glorified through jesus christ who is the glory and the power power forever and ever and ever and ever i just i just like those statements that we saw over that, so that's totally different are we in verse i'm in chapter, chapter four, four verse 19 verse oh i'm sorry verse 11 <laughs> I was like, wow, that is not at all what I have here, but I like it Okay, a lot. so go to see what yours says for no, 11. No, then then we're a lot more. Because it says amen. So, you know, the yeah, end. Right. Forever and ever, amen. That should be the end of everything. Right. But it's, the but power and the glory of Jesus Christ forever and ever, amen, should be the end of everything anyway. Exactly. So I guess in my mind, that's what it was. And, and, I, and I, as we've been studying along, and I feel like, oh, we're just bringing this up every time but I really think if I had to like if you just forced me to summarize what we're learning here through these New Testament writings it's that love the Savior is love and that that is where that light and truth all of those are come together and they're essential well that is so interesting because if you know towards the end more verse 16 if anyone suffers as a Christian let that person not be ashamed but let that person glorify God in that name this this theme of glory the glory of god is light and truth and intelligence that truth is love truth is not always easy but truth through jesus christ is is how he gets people to return to him that as we live in truth we can feel that love from jesus christ he wants all of his children to return to him he wants them to understand their divine nature and yet some people are deceived and a lot of people are deceived in their everyday distractions and thinking that that makes them feel better mm -hmm. and sometimes it's hard to hear the truth that the truth is you're enmeshed in distractions instead of focused on jesus christ and his hope and his faith and his charity and so that may not always be comfortable truth, and yet it is still what glorifies God. And kind of like we talked about in our episode last week, that as we do it more and more and more, it becomes, the discomfort becomes less and less and less as we become 
more accustomed to walking in the truth of the Savior, it becomes more familiar and more comfortable. And, and, I, it, and we're able to discern it more and right. more, that truth of Christ. And, and, and as we recognize it, part of what makes it comfortable is that we recognize it as truth. We recognize it as the Lord, and we feel secure in that. In fact, in verse 19, the actual last verse of the chapter. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> it says, um, let them suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And I just think that's so beautiful, like, amen, let's commit our souls to the keeping of our Savior and to our God and our heavenly parents, because they are our faithful creators. Yes, and the glory to him and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yes. And so, but this does take us into chapter five, which is really about the crown of glory we received, received that as we shepherd Christ's flock, and as we do his will, and as we live in his truth that we will receive that crown of glory. And he says, so towards the end, these are reinforcing the points we've already made, that there's hope in Christ. There's hope in the body of Christ and the glory that we can glorify in him as we work together, as we're watchful and mindful against against the devil and against his deceptions, that as we point out truth, the last couple verses talk about Stand, stand against Satan's. Oh, stand against him. Be strong in the faith of Jesus Christ. Verse nine, knowing that your brothers and sisters throughout the world as the body of Christ are experiencing similar suffering and they are reflecting God's glory as they stand in truth. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him is the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and again, not the last verse. I did notice that throughout not this. That, yeah. So what? Anyway. But. Um, so, and, and another thing that I wanted to say, and I'm sure the wording is different in yours, but I think that the imagery and the writing here in verse eight is just beautiful. And it's actually talking about Satan. But I just thought that I wanted to share this um, scripture and to comment on it and see what you see if it brought any thoughts to your mind. He says, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Well, I do have lots of thoughts about that. As we testify of the truthfulness of the Savior, this statement says that the, that Satan prowls like a roaring lion. Lions at this time were, were real threats to the people of that area. Like, that was a real threat. That wasn't like a metaphorical threat. Right. Um, I think we need to lead, think about Satan a little bit more that way, too. This is not just like some metaphorical threat. That as we acknowledge that Satan is really working hard to be deceptive in everyone's life, that is why it's so important to stand in the truth of Christ. We need it more and more. The One of the most powerful ways that Satan is deceptive is by not acknowledging him, that he's just this little passive thing in the plan of salvation. He's not. He is actively working against us. And as we acknowledge that, I think we're able to more discern the truthfulness of the Savior and his work. And I think also in that same way that that there's action on both sides, that we can actively choose to follow the Savior and the other 
pathway, there's not like a protected center lane where we can just say, I'm, I'm not picking sides. I'm just going to be here in this safety zone and no one can have an influence on me. I mean, I think that a lot of us have periods in our life where we kind of dance in that middle area a bit. We're not actively engaged in the Lord's work, but I think it's important to recognize that in the same way that we talked about that armor of God, that when we have on that armor and we are actively prepared and protecting ourselves, that our risk of becoming devoured by Satan goes down like so much compared to if we've taken off the armor and we're just hanging out in the no man's land in the center hoping that we don't get caught in the crossfire of the battle satan loves when we just sit in the center and act like he's not really there the lack of acknowledging satan in our lives is part of the way that he lit that he wins this the religion of our culture right now of of just worldly culture is yeah i don't really want to acknowledge jesus christ that's kind of like one way that Satan really works against us is that we can just do good works and be nice to people. That's a thing, right? And then to not acknowledge that Satan is actively working against us, the important part of kind of what we're discussing is that acknowledging the truth of the Savior and discerning that and turning towards that has real strength because, you know, we do have a lot of distractions in our life. Our, Our social media, our media can become real um stones that we trip over how was it worded stumble stumble and yet if we actively choose to use the savior those same things can be used for his work i mean i look at the church of jesus christ of latter-day saint church of jesus christ's website and i am just like you can get texts and you can be involved in social media that constantly makes your life this new little microcosm if you want to get on on Instagram and just follow, come follow me and all these inspirational, beautiful things that can be part of your life now, but it's the act of choosing and acknowledging and recognizing that we have to make a stand and we have to stand for truth and we have to fight literal um, roaring, well, not literal roaring lions, but what Satan is, a roaring lion for us. And part of that is, um, as you were speaking about some of these things, I was thinking about the word curate like we are purposefully choosing what is in our feed what is in what shows we partake of and i have i mean i can tell you that it makes a powerful difference every like two to four months because somehow things creep in and that's i think that 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 just happens i think that that's part of the world that we live in i don't think that makes me a horrible person but i think that makes me typical And so every two to four months, I go through literally every single person that I follow on Instagram, person, group, whatever, organization. And if it's not uplifting content, maybe it was four months ago and now it's no longer uplifting, I don't know, then I just unfollow it. Not to be mean or to whatever, but because really it doesn't affect anybody but me and what shows up on my phone in my hand day after day after day does affect me and it makes a difference. And I have found that it's like a breath of fresh air after I do that and realize that I'm only seeing the things that I've curated, that I've purposefully chosen to include in my feed. And I love it. I love that you shared that. And I kind of want to just do a whole nother podcast about that because that is just such a wonderful perspective. But 
we haven't even talked about Second Peter, which there's good stuff Joseph in there. Joseph Smith has actually stated that this Peter penned the most sublime language of any of the apostles when he wrote Second Peter. So Correct. let's see why, because. There's um, good stuff in here, Laura. I'm excited. There's awesome stuff in here. So this is Peter's final assertion of his faith as as this people expected his death as he was writing this. So he's telling people, these are the virtues that lead to exaltation. Let me tell you so that you can partake in this exaltation that you are promised. Right. As I've set up this guidebook for and, you and previously. And, and as you are saying these, I'm going to say that I visualize in my head like a staircase. like, And I know that it's more fluid than that. But as, as he's saying these, because I'm assuming you're going to share five, mm-hmm, six, seven, mm-hmm. that I picture these as a staircase building up toward God. Absolutely. So in verse four, the Lord said, the Lord's great and precious promises so that through them you may become participants in the divine nature. Here are the things that you do to become participants in this divine nature. And like you said, they build. So you supplement your faith in verse five with goodness and you supplement your goodness with knowledge. And so like your staircase Supplement knowledge with self-control, and I'm assuming you're going to have different words than me. Temperance. Self-control mm-hmm. with perseverance. Patience. And perseverance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness with I have love, which is the charity, pure, mm-hmm. pure love of Christ. You know, last last week we kind of talked about patience, and um, I kind of want to take a second to redeem the word patience. I do and too, how much actually. I love it, actually. As I, because we did. As I read through this, I was thinking that same. Because even here, it talks about perseverance too, and the the analogy last week was that, you know, when we exercise. Because I want to break it down into the actual science because the analogy is so great. But when you exercise and you lift weights, you literally tear those muscles and your body rebuilds them stronger. It's such an amazing physiological phenomenon that goes so well with this concept of endurance and becoming stronger and testing in our faith that even as we lift weights, our body naturally becomes stronger and we're able to lift more weights. Patience was what we were saying is feels a little more stagnant. But the thing that I loved about patience is the trust that has to be there and the trust in God that as you're patient, you're trusting that God will that you can have his grace come into your life and get and move on to the promises he's talked about. And so I was thinking about it this go around that, yes, I love the thought of perseverance or endurance, but I also love the thought of trusting. A hundred percent. And I love that this idea that patience is also, it's a bit of a maturity, like it's a spiritual maturity in some ways to be able to see what's happening to have a desire for the circumstances to be different, but to have a level of maturity to recognize that in the Lord's time, he will bring things to pass. Right. Because we have this nice, diligent, give me another work, work, work. It was that work um, focus, but I do. I love that idea of trusting in God. I like some good work, but it's important for me to remember that those are like best friends, work and endurance and obedience. They're best friends with waiting on the Lord and having trust and patience. And we need them both. Absolutely. So he says, as we do this, as we can get to that charity, brothers and sisters, be more diligent, verse 10, to confirm your calling and election. 
For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, an entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. And he goes on to kind of talk about calling election. We recognize that as members of the church, this in the restoration, the usage of the phrase calling an election is something that um, we could probably go on and on again, where the process of being called of God and we're invited to become chosen or elected, that Christ has actually elected us to a calling of our exaltation, and that that can be a very literal things in our li- in our lives. And all of this is getting us to the eternal kingdom, to exaltation with all its promised blessings. And he goes on to tell us what that looks like. And, and part of what I always think of, if I'm just like breaking it down on like, what does this mean for me? I think aiming toward that to me means I'm aiming toward being secure. I'm securely within Mm -hmm. the arms of the savior. I'm securely within his path for me. And, you know, he says, if you do these things, you, you, you shall never fall. And to me, that is like ultimate security. So when I think of like pursuing this path, give diligence to make your calling an election sure, to me, that is giving diligence to make sure that you are safe, that you are safely in the arms of the Savior. And I loved, I'm sure that you saw this connection in verse 10. He says, for if ye do these things. So he's kind of giving us the key to how to bring this to pass. Give diligence to what? To make your calling and election sure. These things that we just spoke of, the faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, kind, um, godliness, brotherly kindness, and ultimately charity, the pure love of Christ. If you do these things, you will be safe. And this is how we have Christ come into our lives and dwell with us and dwell in us like the temples that we've discussed and that we can be um, in Peter chapter one. Um, And so he goes on to talk about how uh, he wants to testify before he um, dies that he is not creating some fairy tale. This is not for your entertainment. I want you to know that Christ, our Redeemer, has atoned for the sins of the world. And I have been an eyewitness to this. I have seen his glory. And he talks about, clearly he knew about Christ in his lifetime. But there seems to be that change that when um, they went up to the Mount, uh, and the Mount of Transfiguration, which we read about in Matthew. Um, In verse 17, he said, For uh, Christ received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him in sublime glory. And and he's a witness to this with uh, the other apostles. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mount. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, which... Um, is different. I'd like to hear what yours said. Well, I was going to say, and somehow him saying this in the in this way feels almost different than when we see it in the Gospels because he is not, it's not just a third person narrative. This is a first person statement. I saw this. This is not a cunningly devised fable is what it says in my translation but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I just was like, amen, I love all of that. Um, And it's almost a sense of, and when we tell you that you will see Christ, 
This is something that will really happen for you. We're not telling you this so that you're motivated to keep being persecuted. We're not telling you it is a happy reward to keep you going. Like you'll really see Christ, whether it's in the next life or even this life, as he's pointing out, some people will. Because um, it goes on to talk about he will be a lamp in the dark places of your life. Um, And that... I, I I specifically want to know what your verse 19 says. So there is a Joseph Smith translation right. in there. It says, we have also a more sure knowledge of prophecy. Right. And so the more sure word of prophecy, it's whether or not that means that Christ really comes to you and you have that literal experience like he had seeing his glory changed and having God the Father say that... This is my son. Um, by having that more sure word of prophecy, you can receive and discern prophecy more and more, which is what the rest of this goes on to say. In verse 21, he says, Because no prophecy ever came by the will of a man, a man, but rather by men and women moved by the Holy Spirit, speaking of God, that when we understand this, we will be able to discern prophecy for ourselves and those that we hear. For instance, can I move on to chapter two real quick? Well, I was just going to gonna say one of the things that you were saying here is that, you know, what whether that's literally that we're going to have this, um, that that we will have the opportunity to be an eyewitness as well, just as Peter was. But I think we can also, as we were talking about reflections earlier in the podcast, I think that sometimes we may not, that we see glimpses and reflections of this in the world, in the people that we interact with through the workings of the spirit in our life. And the key is to recognize those glimpses of reflections that we see of the Savior's majesty as he works in people's lives. And make that more and more part of your life. Right. That that sure word of prophecy can grow in your life. And the other point that he's he starts to make in verse 2 is that this is important because there will be false prophets and teachers. You don't want to rely on other people for the word of prophecy in your life. You want to have that relationship with the Savior so that you can grow, as Peter did, through always trying to be taught by the Savior. We have the opportunity to do that, too. Sure. And just like as President Nelson said, as covenant people, we have direct access to the power of God and to his understanding, like James shared last week. Right. And so our focus is on that. He says in chapter two, he he points out what it looks like, these false prophets and teachers. But my thoughts went to Nehor in the Book of Mormon. So I hope you don't mind that I deviate a little bit and maybe you can help me connect it. Nehor did not preach atheism. He was preaching to these people that, you know, priests should be paid and you don't really need a redeemer. Our lives should not be ones that just reflect a generic religion. They should not be one where we just do good works and do good things for other people because it's giving meaning to our lives. And we love the programs, even in our church. The programs are great, but all of it turns us to Christ. I wonder if the word, instead of generic, I wonder if the word is impersonal. That if it's not personal to us, um, our, because 
I think ideally, and you know, this is a work in progress for all of us. None of us are here completely. So this is in no way meant to be a discouragement, more of like a vision for what the potential is, is that as we develop a personal relationship with Christ, then our all of these things that you speak of flow from it. But when it's impersonal, when there's no connection back to the Savior and we're just doing things because we have been told and we're pretty sure that they're good things to do, that's really good. But we're missing so much of what is ours to have by not making it personal to the Savior. And I love that you made it personal because I think all of the second coming and the prophecies that we get of the body of Christ and what that will look like, that there literally will be a gathering of Israel and that the earth will receive its paradisiacal glory. That is literally an application in our own personal lives that we will have this change, the mighty change of heart, that we will be a new creature and that we can have this personal relationship with the Savior. The reason why I think of Nehor is because he's such a literal false prophet that in our world today, the church cannot go off thinking that um, that we are going to do well to be a body of Christ like that. We have got to focus on speaking of Christ, preaching of Christ, teaching of Christ, having faith, hope, and the pure love of Christ. Those things are all essential because when we take that out and we act like well, going to church is just doing nice, good things for people. This literal experience that needs to happen to help us get to the last days, it's all very important of it. So, well, the and chap- I was going to say, and we're like taking the power out of it. We're doing the works. We're getting some good from it, but we're you're taking out the the main part of the power because you're taking the Savior out of it when you do that. And the Savior is the source of light and truth and power in our life. And so we 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 need him to do that. And when you were saying that, just like we look to where the, the earth will be changed in preparation for the last days, which is this last chapter, and how that correlates to our own selves undergoing this big change, something that I have grown to really appreciate is this perspective of we don't have to wait until the second coming for our own change of heart. Absolutely. I And I first and foremost want that to be what I get out of Peter. Um, but the power and the glory of God forever and ever. Amen. We have seen this throughout the dispensations. We've been talking about it in our previous um, books and Come Follow Me assignments. That, the, that he says in chapter 3... Um, Recall the, this is verse two, recall the predictive teachings of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, that these things will all come to pass in reality. And this is, say, these are the last days and the f- fullness of the times. Can I, so I'm going to share, I'm pulling part of this. It's good to know as you're reading that a good chunk of chapter three has some good additions and clarifications through the Joseph Smith translation. But I thought, I mean, th- these are a couple of things that just stood out to me and then you can fill fill in. But some of the things that he speaks of that are, these are literal things that we can anticipate in the last days, that the heavens will shake, the earth tremble, the mountains will melt, which I had never really heard that before like that specific phrasing. And I thought, well, that's pretty visual. The elements will be filled with a fervent heat and corruptible works will be burned. But then he says here at the end in verse um, 
12, 13, he says, if we endure, we, we shall be kept according to his promise. And we look for a, for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwell righteousness. And I love that. So, and this is where I just, and again, Handel's Messiah does such a good job of bringing these prophecies and connecting them with Christ and his literal power in our life and his literal power throughout dispensations. And when you talked about the elements will be burnt, that um, it talks about that, that things will be uh, burnt away, that that is a purifying process and that the sons of Levi will be purified. And we are those, we know that the sons of Levi had that um, lineage. And we talked about how the Melchizedek priesthood holds no lineage, that we can all become participants in the Melchizedek priesthood. And so all of these prophecies have this personal and literal application to the Savior coming and dwelling in our lives. And that's why, and and I guess it kind of goes back to this, he ends by, t- I'll read the last couple verses of, of the end of Second Peter 3, because we're kind of getting to the end here. But um, be watchful that you are not led astray by these these lawless people, which what word does yours use? In You're in verse, verse 15. Oh, 17. I was at the wrong ending. We are making you a habit of one that. of those my endings yes. where it's not really the ending. Um, seeing that you know these things, beware lest ye also being a led, led away with the error of the wicked. See, I love that wickedness is lawless in my book all mm-hmm. the time because because we know that God is a God of order. Um, lawless people and lose your own firm foundation, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him is the glory now and to the day of eternity. And that, again, the patience, I kind of like trusting in the Lord and having patience on his time and his will, um, that through our faith and our hope and charity, we can increase in intelligence, which is the light and truth, to behold God's glory and glorify God with our works and the words for our own life as the body of Christ, we can manifest him in our lives and in the church and the power and glory be to god forever and ever amen yes i mean i don't i think we can actually make that an actual ending (laughs) unlike all of our false endings earlier so did you have thank you so much for joining me today um michelle let's see my favorite one oh now i won't be able to find it we'll just say to power the power and glory oh forever you- and ever okay god will be glorified through jesus christ who is the glory and the power forever and ever amen, amen. thank you laura <laughs>